Hi everyone, welcome to the weekly podcast of EEG Speaker Series. The Entrepreneurial Exchange Group, EEG, is the leading resource for entrepreneurial interest at NYU by hosting weekly meetings that feature distinguished individuals to speak of their experiences, EEG aims to provide its members opportunities to learn, network, and be inspired. My name is Jeannie Choi. And I'm Joanna Zhu. And we will be your host today. This episode, we will be talking about Vice Media, the digital media and broadcast company labeled as a poster child for new media success. We were honored to be able to have Sarah Broderick, Chief Finance Officer and Chief Operations Officer of Vice Media with us to share her personal journey to Vice and her views on Vice's monumental growth. Broderick hasn't always been in the entertainment industry. In fact, she graduated from the University of Connecticut with a bachelor's degree in accounting and a master's degree in financial reporting. But when she first joined the university as an undergraduate, Broderick was pursuing a pre-med course. You know, it's interesting the way your career unfolds. I grew up in New Mexico, and um, I, there wasn't, I mean, accounting was a bookkeeper, you know, it was, it was somebody who did the taxes on the corner of Church Street. So I didn't grow up in a world where my friends' parents were in corporate America or, you know, people were CEOs and presidents of companies. You know, my parents were teachers, and, um, and my friends' parents either owned their own business or oil and gas or something. But, like, the idea of corporate America wasn't something that was ingrained. So. If you were, um, if you were relatively smart, um, you know you were going to go be a, a doctor or an engineer. And so I went to college to a play softball. That's why I went to UConn to uh, I played softball at UConn. But also, um, I went in as pre med because that that that's that's kind of where I was directed. And I think that the interesting part, um, I was actually a couple of years in and realized that, and I, I don't know if there are any chemistry majors in the room. But if you are, don't take this personally. But I, I was in the lab, you know, watching the blue liquid turn red. And for four hours, I just realized this was just not for me. Like, I mean, I, I didn't, it wasn't that I was doing poorly in it or anything. I just realized that the, the idea of medicine was great, but the, practical, the practicality of it wasn't what I wanted to do. And I took a business class and then I took an accounting class. And one thing led to another. And um, accounting was, you know, the way to the, the strongest major at UConn in, in business. And. I got an internship at Deloitte, and they offered me a full-time job. So I was going into my senior year with a job after college, and that sounded great. And like I kind of just fell into it. And then you know you wake up a few years later, and you're an accountant. After her time at Deloitte, Roderick had the opportunity to travel to Milan as a manager for global development. She goes on to becoming senior manager before joining NBC Universal, General Electric. William Morris Endeavor, and finally joining Vice. Throughout those years, she tackled several drastically different industries. And when asked about the transition between these various positions, Broderick says, There should be 20% of the job that you can do in your sleep. And there should be, you know, 50% of the job that you're perfectly qualified for. And it's interesting. And then, what does that add up to? 2050. So there's like, and then there's like 30% of the, of the work that should just scare the shit out of you, right? And so if you, if you don't have that balance, then you're just, you're not really progressing. And so that learning curve, I think, is always that last piece, but it might be something different in each job. So ultimately, some would argue that this unique collection of work experience is exactly what led to her position at Vice. Now, Vice Media, a $4 billion media brand, should be a familiar name to everyone. But if it is foreign to you, it is probably because its extensive work has made it difficult for the public to quite grasp the breadth of the company. Vice Media actually started as a magazine called Voice of Montreal in October 1994 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with government funding to cover music, trends, and drug culture not covered in print. 
As the company grew, it relocated to New York and adopted many roles. It's a record label, it's a news source, it publishes books, and it offers creative professional services for major brands such as Nike and Red Bull. In its vast network of print, video, and digital, Vice covers just about any nameable millennial interest. So the next logical question to ask is, how is Vice different from other companies? How does Vice stand out in our millennial-oriented society? Why does it resonate with, with um, our audience? I, I think the first thing is, is that the content's made by young people. So you don't have a bunch of old people sitting in a boardroom figuring out what young people want to watch. So we hire people that are younger. It's produced by them, it's written by them, it's cut by them, it's the ideas are, are, are you know, it, it's all, I mean, our average age now is a little bit older just because of the launch of news, but I think we're 27, 28 is our average age of 3,500 people. You know, I mean, so it's, it's a, I'm like, an, I'm one of the oldest people in the company probably. So I think that um, it's, that's the first key. Why, why is it relevant? It's because it's made by people who want to watch it. They, they make the stuff they want to watch. They're not, you know, it's not by somebody else. That's number one. Number two is there is um, an idea, the people that we hire, um, are all very, very different, right? And, you know, they look different, they dress differently, they're into different things. Some people are passionate about music, some people are passionate about technology, some people are passionate about sales. But the thing that runs through everyone is that there's an authenticity to people, right? So people just want to be authentic and they don't, they want a space and they want a platform to tell their stories. And so, you know, the, the, reason why I think our content resonates is that we just don't bullshit people. We try not to bullshit people. And so, um, you know, that resonates. You spent your entire life getting hit by advertisers, you know, like you, you're, the, the meter's high, you know, you know how to figure out when someone's trying to stand up and tell you a story that is filled with, you know, corporate speak. And so, um, that just resonates, I think, with, with folks. And, um, and we tend to be able to kind of continue that as we, we've gone across multiple platforms, including platforms like television, which people thought we were crazy um, mm -hmm. for that reason, which is that our audience is primarily young and they say, well, nobody watches TV. Um, and, and yet we went into TV anyway, and, and I can explain why, but I, I think that um, even on TV, you know, the, the, our idea was it's not the platform, it's the content. There isn't anything to watch. I have, I have every media, option available, right? I have I have Hulu, I have Apple TV, I have Netflix, I have I have my own cable, I have over the I have everything. Um, I still don't watch TV when I go home because to me, you know, the, it was the content that was the problem in our minds, not necessarily the the mechanism. When asked about its rapid expansion and undisputable success, Broderick addresses some of the unique challenges Vice faces in its efforts to continue representing the voice of counterculture while maturing as a company. Vice was founded by um, a, a couple of visionaries that didn't know they were going to be visionaries, right? It was founded as a magazine in Canada um, covering a subculture of um, all the topics that nobody really wanted to talk about. And, and then it progressed through the period when YouTube and, and platforms were 
um, were coming on board and created these amazing platforms, but nobody had any content to sh shove into those platforms. And so YouTube was great, but you were watching, you know, somebody make a cake with their kitten on their on their shoulders or something. Like it, like it wasn't good content, right? So so Vice was like, ah, I can give you something better. So they started taking a camera with them on their on their when they, when they were reporting and spent really 15, 20 years just developing this concept of online video before people really thought that that was a value. Mm -hmm. And so why is that important to answer your question is that, you know, it's really been the last three or four years that it's it's ballooned into what it is today. Um, and so it has a very startup-y feel, even though it's got roots in, you know, we have offices in 36 countries. We have people who have been part of the company for 18 years, 16 years. Um, you know, people that founded the company lived, you know, like above a bar without a drain in the shower. You know, I mean, like, like, like it's, it's got a really gritty beginning, um, but it's been around for a long time. And then it's got a very startup culture because the last two or three years, it's, it's had such massive growth where we've gone from digital to um, having, you know, our content on news, HBO, which is incredibly successful to saying, well, if that's, um, people wanted us to make more of those kinds of shows and, and Shane said, well, you know, then I'm gonna make my own channel. So we launched our own channel and then we said, well, look, we've captured the millennial audience and the millennial mindset. And so Unilever and um, Nike and, and all of these brands were coming to us to say, okay, um, can you create stuff for me? And so we became a creative agency and then now we've got films and we can talk about the history of the company. But all of that has happened in like the last two or three years, really. So so I think the culture, um, you know, when you go from a place like like GE, you're going from better to best all the time. You know, it's GE's been around. It was the first, it's the only Fortune 100 company, I think, to still be in the Fortune 100. It's been around forever. So you're always going from better to best. You're tweaking. You're you're, you're, you're changing your strategy to make sure you're ahead of the game. Here we're like, you know, you're, you're going from like nothing to something when it, when it comes to infrastructure to scale, right? When yeah. it comes to creative ideas, um, you know, there, there's, no, there's no limit on that. So I, I think it takes some getting used to when you come from a bigger place that, you know, the, here's, there's a job and there's an army, a Roman army of smart people who go get things done and there's an execution mindset and people take notes in a meeting. Um, and, you know, you get into a place like Vice where um, it, it, you know, there, it's very opportunistic and there's ideas all over the place, but there aren't a lot of people that are used to, you know, a plan for the year, right? Like, plan for the year. Yeah. Like the whole world's going to change in a year, you know, it's, it's three months. So I think that that culture of just, um, you know, that very startup-y kind of growth culture in a company that's 20 years, long, 20 years old, that's competing against companies like, NBC and Fox and um, and Disney that have been around forever, you know, you've got this real interesting juxtaposition of startup with like, you know, um, expectations of a Fortune 100 company, mm -hmm. and um, the company's trying to figure out how to, you know, we're we're transitioning to be more corporate, but you don't want to be more corporate, right? Mm -hmm. So, I think that you know it does take some time to to work in that environment on how do you you bring the the, the best practice mentality that you've gained in your career um, and not stifle the entrepreneurial spirit that makes vice vice, right? How do you separate between here's the stuff we do because it's the way we've always done it and that needs to get changed versus here's the stuff we do because it makes us unique. And that that's hard to get right. And that's where I spend most of my time is really balancing that, you know, in terms of um, don't change the culture so much that you change the company, but but get the company ready to be, you know, take over the world.
Vice can attribute its development to only its culture and pursuit of authenticity, especially with Vice's brand being so inextricably tied to the young, cool, and dangerous. Such rapid expansion can be a strain on the company's culture. Broderick elaborates a little more on how Vice manages to preserve this image through its employees while increasing and building onto the company's structure. You know, structure and creativity are not mutually exclusive, right? So I think that, you know, there's a perception that if you put in place an org chart that that um, stifles, on, you know, creative spirit. Or um, if you have a turnstile at the front door that for security purposes because we now cover, you know, topics that cause people to go a little bit batty. Um, that that doesn't stifle the, the company's culture, it just represents where we are, right? And so I believe fully that if you put in place the right structure for an organization, you allow people to be more creative because you give them the sandbox that they can go play in and they know how to go play and you let them play. And then when they need to come out of the sandbox and ask a question, they know who they can go to to get it done. And it's a, you know, if you go back and you read 400 years of, you know, um, the British Army's manuals, there's, there's like the seven rules of creating a leader out of the general population. And, and I think that one of those is to, um, to have an organizational structure that creates clarity around who can make decisions, because that facilitates an environment where your, um, your lowest level um, you know, lieutenants are out in the field and they know how to make decisions because they know what they can make, right? And I, I don't think it's any different in a company like Vice. So, so this culture of, um, you know, yes, it happened to start out with much more of a niche type of topic, right? We covered um, a subculture in Canada, a, a kind of gritty, um, you know, a skateboarding, you know, kind of a, a kind of a set of topics that people have a particular picture of what's a vice person, right? A particular thing about how they dress or what they look like or the type of music they listen to. But as we've expanded, all we've done is we've said, wait, why did that resonate? Well, because it was told in a particular way. The story was told with an authentic voice. And so our whole culture is not necessarily a particular type of millennial. It's about how do or and millennial being a mindset, not an age, but it's about how do we tell stories in a much more authentic way where people, where you don't bullshit people, right? And so if people are joining the Vice today, the culture should be, are you authentic? Where do you get your news from? What kind of story do you want to tell? What, what are you passionate about? And if you find those things in Vice, you're going to go thrive and you're going to do that regardless of whether there is, um, you know, just because you have a, a clear org structure or you have, you know, a system to get your... Your, your, your payroll out of or, or you get you know you have a, an operating rhythm on a Monday morning for to, to generate ideas you know I, I don't think it changes the culture at all other than the fact that we now have a broader more diverse group of individuals that can come work advice because we cover topics that that center around these cultural zeitgeist of, of um, that people are interested in. In a multi-layered, millennial-driven society, many forget that under all of the corporate structure, conversational leadership, employee benefits, and emphasis on customer service, transparency is the basis of organizational growth.
Broderick explains that Vice, with its shockingly large network and beehive live structure, it utilizes employee feedbacks and satisfaction to create a bottom-up structure that leads to a cyclical and mutual relationship between culture and the permanence of authenticity. When I first got to Vice, you know, we're in 36 countries, and when you go to an office in Denmark or you go to an office in Belgium, and you walk in and it's Vice, right? And like, it looks like Vice and it feels like Vice. And big companies that have massive infrastructure don't know how to do that. They don't know how to maintain a culture across all of their offices. You know, they, they try to do it with, you know, annual meetings and, and whatever. But when you go to different, you know, different offices, they feel different. Vice, on the other hand, you know, when I got there, we didn't have a tax person. We didn't have treasury functions. We didn't have all these things that, that we didn't have internal communications, all the things you would expect that necessarily would would be there that we were still building to put in place because we grew so fast. But yet when you walk into Denmark, people get vice. Yeah. The content is localized, but it has an authenticity. How did that happen? It happened because the way that vice grew was, you know, we were, we started in the U.S. and then launched an office in the U.K. And then we would be doing something and someone's friend from Denmark would come and say, I love what you're doing. I can go do that in Denmark. And we said, okay, here's a thousand bucks. You pitch in a thousand bucks, go open up an office. And then they would start locally and build up the office organically in, in that country. And so by doing this, you actually had the found, you had the founders be part of a, of a mindset that allowed us to create a culture globally that is very unified, even though we might not have all the operating rhythms that make us look as as global as as some of the big companies that yeah. you know that have actually you know taken their new york executive and put them in in hong kong well you know that's not what created vice what created vice is that you have someone in hong kong who knows hong kong who understands the, the that environment and understands the advertisers there and understands the the content that 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 young people in hong kong want that has a similar mindset as New York, as opposed to sending the New York person over to Hong Kong to start the office, you know? And that's what's made us so successful and so so authentic, I think. I think we've, I think that culture is gonna persist while we grow. We've, we've been able to do it so far. To wrap this episode up, I think it is safe to conclude that Vice has arguably held onto its brand and identity, something it sees as its most valuable asset. And for those of us who are now thinking, how can we be a part of Vice? How can we be a part of this authentic, cool culture of our own? This is the advice that Broderick left us. You know, I think that the interesting part is, you know, like you asked, okay, there's usually a certain type of mindset that's a finance team. And how does that fit in a creative environment? And I, I think to succeed at Vice, you have to, um, you have to have kind of four attributes. You've got to be, got to be a little bit cool. All right, so you can be cool and be a, a, a business person. Um, you got to be a little bit wacky, right? You got to have a little bit of an oddity to you just because everybody has something that they're super passionate about that makes you feel a little bit, you know, you're not, you're not super straight. You got to be so crazy passionate about vice that you'll give your life for it, right? The fourth is probably um, a bit, um, you know, like I've mentioned before, but you just got to really be authentic. And I think that you know, even folks that are have a soup, like left brain, right brain, totally different. Um, you know, they, they sense the authenticity in the people that we're, that we're hiring. And so for that reason, I think I've been able to make a cultural fit in addition to a value add fit, um, even though the disciplines are so different. And with that, we conclude our episode. We hope you enjoyed this informational blurb on Vice Media and that it has inspired you to, if not join a company, find value in a cool, wacky, passionate, and authentic company culture. Thank you, Broderick. 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 Broderick.
Broderick.